Hello, I'm Simon Thompson, Chief Executive of the Chartered Banker Institute and author of Green and Sustainable Finance Principles and Practice. I really enjoy and spend a lot of my time speaking with policymakers, regulators, bankers, finance professionals, all sorts of practitioners to try and understand how we can better and more quickly align banking and finance with the objectives of the Paris Agreement and broader sustainability goals. You know, as we look back in January 2024 at uh, what's been the hottest year uh, 2023 on record, this couldn't be more important or more urgent. So welcome to this latest episode of Green Conversations and welcome to my guest today, a fellow Simon, Simon Brennan, the head of Deloitte Sustainability Regulation Hub for Europe, the Middle East and Africa. Simon and his colleagues recently published their regulatory outlook for 2024. Uh, it's available online. We'll include the link for you to uh, look at later. Please do uh, take a look. It's recommended reading for all financial services professionals, all of our members, uh, not just those working in sustainability roles, as you know, as I think we'll come on to discuss in the UK and Europe, at least. This is a topic that uh, increasingly impacts all finance professionals. So hello. Good morning, Simon. Hi, Simon. Great to join you. Thanks for thanks for being here. And yeah, here we are almost at the end of the first month of the new year. And, uh, you know, you write in uh, the outlook that uh, during 2024, we expect regulatory change driven by sustainability to hit an inflection point. So what, what, what do you mean by that? So what is the inflection point and you know, what's its implications for institutions and individual finance professionals? Yeah, so a, a, a great place to start, because I think there's there's lots of there's lots of regulation out there. And clearly, the, the the weight of that regulatory change still needs to be managed. But I think it's important to think about the flow of new regulation. And so when we think about the inflection point, that's what we had in mind. So, And, and really, that probably translates in 2024 into a pause in, in new regulation. And so why is that happening? Well, it's nothing to do with the real world. So the re uh, climate change, as you said in your introduction, is is getting worse. So the risk is the risk is still there. The sustainability transition continues to reshape the economy and the financial system. And so as a financial services sector, we, we're going to have to continue to respond. But if we think just at regulation specifically, there's been a lot of regulatory change already. So to some degree, it's actually we're at the point where it, it makes sense to uh, for the regulators to just pause and uh, allow firms to start to really embed and implement that. But there's some other things happening kind of more widely. So uh, there are elections this year in, in the UK, in the EU, the US. Um, in fact, uh, I read recently, I think half the world's population almost will go to the polls this year. So policymakers have other things on their mind. Uh, and that will mean that the capacity to drive new legislation is, is limited. And also the economy is, I mean, hopefully the economy is turning now back into the positive, but some of the scrutiny of the shorter term trade-offs perhaps between uh, economic growth, energy security, uh, and sustainability is still is still being worked on. So this combination of those factors is weighing weighing against uh, new regulation. But but as I say, it's not it's not that there's there's still lots to do, but I think it's it's useful that we in 2024 might get a chance to, to take breath and focus on implementing what's already on our plates. So I guess it's it's a, it's it's partly kind of good news from the perspective of there's not going to be lots more regulation coming down the track we need to try and you know get our heads around but actually that doesn't mean we're we're less busy because um you know we together with regulators are uh, are in the business of 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 implementing and embedding sort of regulation um you know perhaps be more more active supervision maybe more active sort of enforcement rather than new regulatory development um so i noticed as well in the, in the outlook you 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 mentioned that um 
where you, you sort of picked up on this point that um, supervisory expectations um, for financial services um, sort of are looking at whether climate risk and capabilities are embedded within organisations. Uh, I mean, where do you see kind of regulators' expectations changing or, or going this year? And in particular, thinking about sort of banks, you know, one, one perennial topic of interest is uh, the extent to which sort of regulators are, are interested in, in capital charges related to climate. Do you think we're going to see any any movement in that area in particular? Yeah, so lo loads in that question. I mean, I think if I just think about expectations in general, uh, one of the one of the beauties of of banking uh, supervision, both in the UK and the uh, EU in particular, is that it, it, there's a lot of weight placed on firms to under, to kind of just understand what the regulator wants. We we know the overall objective uh, around uh, safety and soundness, and and within that, firms need to do a lot. So, and I say that just because it's now a, a few years since the but the Bank of England and the ECB both set out their expectations for how firms manage climate risk and environmental risk. I do expect that we'll continue to see more clarification. So the ECB has done its horizontal reviews and it will provide more guidance on uh, what's going well and what needs more work. From the Bank of England, we've seen the letters from, from Sam Woods, the, C, the CEO of the PRA. So I think we will see more information about expectations, but really just driving at what's already on the table around risk management, uh, governance and capital. Specifically on capital. So. I think the question I get asked this a lot is the capital framework going to change to accommodate uh, sustainability and, and climate? So in particular, are there going to be green supporting factors uh, or or otherwise some special treatment for, for green exposures? I think the answer is no for 2024. Supervisors have made clear they don't think it's a good idea. We should use the we should use the risk framework to manage risk and we can use other things like uh, tax and incentive frameworks to to achieve other outcomes. It's also very hard, and I don't think if we look at the the thinking that's going on, although supervisors continue to do work, uh, for example, at the Basel Committee, uh, uh, the subgroup there on climate risk, they continue to work on these topics. But I think it's clear that the the technology, the supervisory technology to do this, isn't isn't in place yet. But that's all not. To, I mean, none of that is to say that you don't need to think about climate in your capital equation, because of course, within within the ICAP you absolutely squarely have to be thinking about climate risk. And if climate is a material risk, it it, it should be it should be kind of reflected in, in your risk calculations, which are then going to impact capital. So I think there's firms absolutely need to continue to think about how is climate being reflected in in the current framework. Uh, what we're not going to see in 2024 is is a is a, is a big change in in, in a new approach or a new methodology. And I think and there can be very few financial institutions out there for, for, for whom climate can't be considered a material risk. I mean, that's one of the big, big shifts we've seen as I think all financial institutions now understand the extent to which, um, well, climate risk and climate opportunities uh, are there for, for all of us. Um, also as well, I think one of the, 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 the things I've been pleased to see change over the past few years is an understanding that climate risk isn't necessarily a separate risk category but perhaps is better treated as a transverse risk that impacts on lots of other types of risk categories um too and i think that's increasing the way sort of banks and and bankers certainly in in, in the uk and europe now address this and how the, the regulators want us to address it too i'd say I, mean, I think maybe the one area though where we we are seeing perhaps more regulatory activity um in the real economy as well as in financial services 
um, because it's such a hot topic, is in tackling and addressing greenwashing, um, you know, which for those who perhaps don't know, you know, that's inadvertently or deliberately misleading others about the environmental or broader sustainability benefits of an activity, a project, product or, or, or service. I mean, there's lots of aspects to, to greenwashing and how we tackle it. You know, in the EU, they're looking at or they're bringing in um, uh, legislation in terms of advertising, uh, general anti-greenwashing regulation for the real economy and financial services. We have the uh, the SFDR and the UK equivalents. So there's a kind of compliance aspect to this, but I think it goes kind of much wider. You know, when we think about greenwashing in the in in the real world and what that means for for banks and bankers. So you know, thinking about the rules and and, and guidance and regulators in the background here, what do bankers need to consider um, when financing clients in the real economy when it comes to this area of, of, of greenwashing or, or how to avoid it yeah i mean i think i think it's really good simon that you you've you've emphasized that greenwashing is not a it's not a financial services topic per se it's this this uh risk of misrepresenting uh the, the green credentials of of something kind of spans the economy and if we look i mean I think it's 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 most prominent in the EU. But if you look in the EU, there are there's regulation both to tackle this risk within financial services, so the, or not not regulation yet. The European Commission is doing some work to think about whether the, the regulatory framework needs to change. But then there's also uh, initiatives like the Green Claims Directive, which is thinking about in in the real economy those claims. So so what for, for me, I think it's important to to remember that it's it's kind of everywhere. I think the other thing to remember is that it, it, in a sense, this isn't new. So there's the specifics around kind of climate and, and greenwashing on, on novel, but really greenwashing risk gets it sits in the box around uh, fair treatment of customers, treat, uh, being honest and open in communications, etc. Concepts that we know very well in banking, uh, for sure. The UK con consumer duty has been uh, agreed uh, relatively recently. Firms are working hard to to implement that. So I think green greenwashing risk can kind of be be understood and and dealt with to a large degree within some of those existing initiatives. But what what do what do individuals need to to think about? I mean, I think for me, a key thing is to just it, at an individual level be cautious and skeptical as they deal with claims about sustainability, and that could be claims that their customers or counterparties are making. It could be claims that uh, they're kind of writing into investment products or into into uh, into communications, but. I think if everyone's cautious and skeptical, then they're going to be they're going to challenge themselves and challenge others about whether claims have, have been backed up. Uh, that that needs to be backed up by education and training. So unless we have within an organisation or within the banking sector, unless we have a common understanding of what these terms mean uh, and we have good quality data, it, it's very difficult for us to really get on top of this risk. So education is key. And when you look at some of the initiatives that have happened. Uh, so I mentioned that the Commission's thinking about what needs to happen on greenwashing, but of course, uh, we've already got initiatives around labelling, for example, in the EU and UK. That's that's about bringing some standardisation that helps people to to talk more coherently with each other about it. So, so education is key, training is key, and I think being being uh, uh, suitably sceptical and cautious is key. The other thing I just say is that I mean that's the individuals, boards, senior management teams have got a responsibility to set the tone from the top. And this is this is exactly the sort of issue where uh, getting the culture point right about as an organisation, we need to tackle greenwashing. We need to be honest in, uh, uh, on, on top of what we're saying. That will help it as well. 
the boards need to i think greenwashing is really difficult because it's a latent risk if if you if you don't get on top of the, the management of it it sits in your communications it sits in the phone calls your frontline staff are having it sits embedded in the data pool that you're constructing so you really need to get on top of it as, a, as a, an organization to make sure that you understand that latent risk and are doing what you can to, to mitigate it no, I, I agree with that it, it needs it needs boards and, and managers to take kind of active steps to understand you know what they're financing and how they're financing and what clients and customers are, are doing it, it does a good you know i think the great majority of of, of greenwashing to me is probably inadvertent um it's uh you know people are not getting up in the morning thinking they're that they're going to deliberately sort of you know mis mislead customers or clients or in or investors um it just sort of happens because people haven't been appropriately skeptical um you know they haven't applied their their judgment they haven't asked some of the searching questions perhaps perhaps they ought to have done and that is both an absolute great it's an education and training and it's a cultural issue that needs to go right throughout firms but i think we're making making progress um, um, on that. So, uh, you know, another area that's getting a great deal of attention, particularly in the, the UK um, at the moment, and, you know, as we record this at the end of January, um, they just had an extension to their, to their work, um, is transition planning, sort of led by the Transition Plan uh, Task Force, you know, both, both in terms of banks developing their own transition plans and working with corporate clients, many, many large corporates to help them develop and ultimately sort of finance those transition plans. I, I did note in in the outlook, um, you know, you, you and your colleagues express a, express a concern that kind of under current rules, um, as firms seek to manage transition risk and and meet the climate the climate targets, you know, actually this could potentially reduce funding or make funding and investment sort of harder to obtain to support that transition. I mean, can you can you expand on this for our listeners because it's I think that's a really interesting point that you know we're hearing a lot in 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 banking financial services about the need to fund clients through transition and, and we hear a lot about banks wanting to deploy funds to do this but you seem to be saying actually this is this is more difficult than perhaps we we we, we would like to think it is yeah for me this is really important in because if if we think about the really big picture here uh financial services is 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 a gateway to financing the transition so we need to make this work and i think just just to be clear, financial services lending into the transition is critical. And certainly from the conversations I have, they want to do it. Banks want to do that, for example. So the the comment we made was really just to highlight that firms need to think about it. And because there's a number of a number of things come together. So as as, as a business, you've you've made your your net zero commitment, you've translated that commitment into a plan, a high-level plan. Uh, and those things were hard already. I know firms have done a lot of work on that. But now as you implement it, that's where that's where things, uh, a few tensions in the system really come into play. You cascade that plan down into your business, into into business line limits and, and risk limits. Uh, how are you going to get the trade-off between uh, wanting to move forward on your climate ambition and you've presumably still got your profitability targets, for example? Now, one way to square the square the circle is to think is to think harder about risk is to think about time horizons but you really need to do that thinking to, to potentially square what might in the very short term be uh, a more difficult investment but in the longer term pays off in the regulatory framework uh supervisors are talking to uh firms about viability of business models and now you need to kind of wedge into that discussion about viability of business models uh the conversation about your transition plan uh the, the taxonomy talks about 
at the moment only the EU tax on it, but talks about green investments and brown investments. But what about in the middle? We we don't have a shared understanding really of how to talk about things that are currently brown but will become green. And how do you assess the credibility of your counterparty's uh, transition plan? Again, I know firms are thinking about this, but it's hard. So I think that the point is is that if you if you fall into implementing the process of implementing your transition plan, there's going to you're going to realise there's a lot of difficult things. So it's really critical at this point that firms are, are just on the front foot and thinking, right, how are we going to do this? And I think ultimately, in terms of how you're going to do that, I mean, there's a lot of work to do, but it, it just points to the fact that transition plans need to be owned by the board and the execution of them needs to be owned by the board because those trade-offs and those considerations are exactly the sorts of things that need to be uh, need to be built into the strategy. No, that's, uh, yeah, but that makes me really thoughtful. Um, and I hope to make everyone working in this area very, very kind of thoughtful about the complexities involved. It did... I hadn't thought of this before, but it makes me think of that famous sort of maxim about sort of no plan survives contact with the, the enemy. In this case, it's almost kind of no transition plan survives contact with actually the process of transitioning, because as you transition, things will be changing all the time and you'll be realising many of the complexities involved. Um, so I think that's a topic very much for us all to keep keep watching. And it's an area where the, you know, the UK is very much in the lead. I know others around the world are looking to the work of the Transition Plan Task Force. Um, and I think we'll just see sort of lots more kind of guidance and hopefully sharing of kind of best practice between firms and institutions over the, over the years to come. Um, and then speaking of kind of complex topics, maybe one to, to, to end on. Um, finally, we come to, to nature, which is a, a topic very much coming onto the agendas of regulators and financial institutions, certainly in the UK and Europe uh, this year. And we've had in September 2023, the final TNFD recommendations. It's on our institute agenda too, as we're shortly to release two nature-based finance modules to support our PRB Academy learning for bankers. I mean, it's a, the whole topic of nature is huge. We haven't got time to go into that. But in terms of sort of the regulatory piece, um, you know, where do you see regulators focusing in terms of nature over the, the next twelve months? Kind of what are their expectations of firms? Yeah. So this, for me, this is a really interesting question because we've kind of had nature on the agenda for a few years now, and and it, it feels like there's been a, a false start each time. But uh, because it's never, as it, nobody disagrees with the importance and criticality of nature when you, when you explain it to them and talk to them. But the question is, where does it sit? I'm still dealing with climate. How do I, do I need to make time? How do I make time for nature? But I think 2024 is going to be different for a couple of reasons. As you say, one is TNFD has been finalised. So it's still to become real, really real. It needs to be in some way absorbed or adopted adopted into CSRD and into into the ISSB rules, which will take time, but it's there. Firms can voluntarily uh, take it on board. And we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago that actually several hundred have already agreed to voluntarily adopt it. So that's important. But then I think, and it's good that we're, we're, we're in this context thinking specifically about banks, the ECB has been really active on nature. Not a surprise, Frank Elderson came from the Netherlands. They're probably, in terms of jurisdiction, they have led the nature and banking conversation for years. He's taken that to the ECB. And so we know that on the ground, banks supervised by the ECB are being asked about nature. And I think I think of it as where we were on climate three years ago. So it's not that you have to have nailed it but you need to start thinking like big picture, how am I exposed to nature? In in the UK, uh, I think we are going to see uh, something from definitely the FCA and possibly the Bank of England this year. The FCA was on record in a in a speech last year saying that, well, pointing out that they've they've been part of the TPT. They've worked on the TPT nature work stream, been closely involved in it. Uh, the Financial Services and Market Act in 2023 
introduced a new pr principle uh, requiring regulators to have regard to uh, the UK's net zero emissions and environmental targets, which obviously includes nature. So I think the Bank of England and FCA are going to have to respond. What that means in practice, I mean, probably, again, we're at this, maybe not quite where we were with in 2019 with the, on climate in terms of just starting, but I don't think this year firms have to get on top of nature fully, but they, it needs to start becoming part of the conversation. But having gone through that journey, I just wrap up by saying that I mean, if you, again, if you think about the real world, it's actually impossible to deal with climate fully without considering nature. The two, the two are really interconnected. Nature, con, nature degradation contributes to to climate problems. Uh, nature, natural capital solutions are kind of one of the key tools we have for tackling some of the climate problems. So, actually, as a business, as a bank, as you're doing your risk assessment, you really should be thinking about nature. Now, there's gradations of detail and 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 scrutiny but i think really if you're thinking about climate now and you have to be you should really think about is are there any key elements where nature is already playing a role and i think one of the really interesting things to me about nature is just the, the the way in which it shapes the way you you think about the whole economic model business environment financial environment we've constructed and how it all rests on nature I and mean, that's something that you know nobody told us you know 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, whenever we started our sort of journeys in, in financial services. And we're, you know, I, I'm really sort of pleased that sort of over the last kind of 10 years, I've learned a lot about, about this area and sort of understand just how much we rest on the, the world around us that, you know, we have, you know, everything we've we've created in, 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 in terms of business and finance and society ultimately rests on the environment and, and nature. Uh, and I think it's just fascinating now that, um, instead of instead of the stereotype of bankers just spending all the time talking about money we're now at a point where increasingly bankers are spending all a lot of the time talking about pollination and bees and uh, and, and uh, natural capital solutions and things i think that's a wonderful place to be um so anyway well, thank you for for, for joining me uh, today so simon and thanks to your colleagues at the um deloitte sustainability regulation hub for developing and sharing your 2024 regulatory outlook. I mean, we we covered some of the highlights um, in our conversation. There's obviously a lot in there that we didn't have time to to cover. So, um, you know, please follow the links below the podcast uh, to read sort of more about the topics we discussed in the shape of sustainability regulation for the for the year ahead that is going to impact all of our uh, professional lives over the next 12 months or so. So thank you very much, Simon. Thank you.